Hello, everybody, and welcome back to OMB Reviews. I am the critic who is a cynic. How is everyone doing this evening? Blessed Shrove Tuesday, everybody. It's a reminder that tomorrow is Ash Wednesday, the beginning of the season of Lent. So we call today Shrove Tuesday. Uh, comes from the word to shrove or to be shriven, which essentially means to uh, to be cleansed, uh, especially when it comes to in reference to uh, sin. So it's a good day to go to confession before the start of Lent. So blessed Shrove Tuesday to everybody. I don't do Mardi Gras. You all know I'm born and raised in New Orleans, Louisiana. And uh, unfortunately, because of that upbringing, it kind of soured uh, Mardi Gras as a concept. Uh, it has very rich Catholic history to it. And unfortunately, a lot of that has just been completely destroyed by many of the common practices in the city of New Orleans. And so that is why I go by instead the more traditional understanding of today as Shrove Tuesday, um, or as some people call it, uh, Pancake Day as well. Also very, very fitting. So we'll talk, of course, a little bit about that. I already have. Also, we're going to talk about the updates to Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. Mania, Mania's box office. As it is coming in well underneath the projections, remember, they had said it was going to make $280 million worldwide, and it only ended up doing around 225 With the numbers from Monday in, it's looking around 240 So even with the Monday numbers, you're still about $40 million shy of what the initial worldwide estimate was. Now, of course, the excuse that's being thrown out there is that, well, you know, sci-fi doesn't play all that well with China and with other Asian markets, whatever the heck that's supposed to mean. But, you know, the excuse is they will continue to come out for the movie. And here's the thing. I think the film still has a very good chance of making its money back. I mean, it's almost at $250 million. So it's almost at the halfway point of what it needs to make uh, to break even, according to the uh, typical standards that I follow. I know that uh, Valiant Renegade shot to him. Shout out to you, good sir, Valiant Renegade. I know that he uh, says that the film's break-even points closer to 600 million. Now, again, I am using just very, you know, I'm using historical standards. I'm using standards that I've been using for many, many years, maybe to my own detriment, but it's been a a tied and trusted, tried and trusted methodology that I have been using ever since I started covering the box office uh, news. And I think that when you take into account so many of the other factors that are so hard to get exact numbers on, I think ultimately it's just one, it's the fairest number, and it's also just a very uh, a nice, basically probably average of what the film probably has to make in the long run, so we'll talk about that. Also, I have been playing a bit of Hogwarts Legacy. So my wife is a big-time Harry Potter fan. I mentioned this on the Chosen of Valhalla stream that we had this past weekend, and I've also mentioned it previously in the past that she is a, a very big fan of the books, especially. And so she was already interested in the game, but we didn't have a PS5. And so kind of as a, we've obviously worked it out with, you know, looked at our financials and everything like that. But we decided for one, for her, because she really wanted to play the game. She's been having a ton of fun with it as well. Can't play the game very well, but she's in story mode because she cares more about the actual story than the actual gameplay. I start off in normal mode because I'm not much of a gamer and I was doing pretty well up until the second, uh, or rather the final round of dueling in the dueling club in the game because it was about, it was like two on three and it was just, it was just hard enough to where I was like, oh my goodness, I cannot uh, get through this. And so that's when I, I switched it over to easy, but I'm not much of a gamer. So I'm not really all that, you know, upset with myself over that, that fact, but I'll talk about what my experience has been with the game so far. I think I have about 10 hours of play time, uh, game time in. Uh, so I'm not even like, 
20% of the way through the actual game, uh, let alone, I think that's just the, the main story. I don't know if that's con- including all of the side quests that you could also do. Um, but let's just say I, I've played a decent amount. Like 10 hours is definitely nothing to snuff at. And I, I've got some thoughts, some some initial thoughts about the game. And uh, I'll give those thoughts today also. But before getting any further, though, smash the like button, live fire button on Odyssey, smash the rumble button as well. By the way, shout out to Rumble for finally uh, getting a pop-out chat so now I've got all of my chats in OBS. So I got my Odyssey chat, my Rumble chat, and my uh, YouTube chat. Right now, the YouTube chat, Odyssey chat, still working as usual. We'll wait and see if anyone comes into the Rumble chat. Uh, it's usually a little bit slower over there anyway, but if anyone does want to test things out over there uh, to let me see if, if if the pop-out works as it does for these other platforms, I, of course, would greatly appreciate it. We got Bianca Zombie. Hanging out over on Odyssey. What's going on? We also got Jacques Lesuave. Kincaid Rumschke, I can indeed see you. Good sir. Thank you very much for joining over on Rumble. Glad to see that it works. Let me go ahead and see if I can readjust the size of that. But Jacques Lesuave, what's going on? Welcome back to uh, the channel. Welcome back over on Odyssey. Thank you all again for always supporting the channel over there, but this will definitely help me. I'm seeing the YouTube chat in real time, the Rumble chat in real time, and the Odyssey chat. So for me, visually, it's definitely going to help me out in the long run. For other people, it probably would drive them crazy, but I'm not like most people. Anyway, let's say hello to some people got here in the Steadfast. Hail to you here in the Steadfast. Thank you for being here. Orange Eye Reviews, what's going on, good sir? He's a mod here on the channel. He's one of the main mods here on the channel now. Everyone behave. I won't be able to make it tonight, but I trust my fellow mod, Laura, to be extra vigilant. Uh, obviously, uh, Laura, if you are here. Laura, the mod major general, thank you for being here. And uh, if you can't be here the entire time, that's okay. Um, I appreciate y'all volunteering y'all's time in that way. So again, thank you. Master Gaming says, The Hogwarts Legacy boycott showed the progressive true colors, especially them harassing streamers. Well, really it showed that the boycott, or the so-called boycott, was just a complete and ultimate failure. I mean, the game is one of the best-selling games, at least of the past few years, or at the very least of, of recent memory. I'm not, again, a big gamer, or follow a lot of gaming stats, but it's been selling a lot of units. And when you are able to motivate someone like me and especially someone like my wife to actually go out of our way and and use the the expendable income that we do have on getting the entire PS5 system itself and primarily to to get Hogwarts Legacy I think that also kind of speaks a lot to it right I wanted to get it for for her for a couple of reasons right for one you know she wanted it to play Hogwarts Legacy she didn't want to have to wait She's a big fan of the original stories, and so she wanted to play it because she was hearing all these really great things, and she's been loving it. She's been absolutely loving the entire experience of playing it. So it's already worth it from that perspective. Two, I wanted to get it for her as well uh, because she hasn't been feeling all that well recently, and so this has definitely been something that I think has been helping her. Uh, you know, with that, don't worry, everything's fine, but just hasn't been, you know, feeling, you know, completely 100% recently. So, um, I wanted to be able to, you know, say, I think that's again, worth, worth putting our time and, and stuff into. And also I was like, hey, you know what, uh, might as well. And, you know, obviously the, the PS4 that I have, I'll probably end up selling for, you know, discounted price and, you know, all that good stuff. But I think that again, going back to the original comment, the fact that not only are people going out of their way to buy this game, the fact that the deluxe edition was sold out pretty much everywhere that I possibly looked and, and the places that it was available, you had to wait like weeks for it to be shipped out. And also uh, all these other things too, right? I I think are just really just powerful signs that this game is making waves and in a very, very strong way. 
So, yeah, it's it's amazing to see these things as they go out. And, yeah, the, the boycott ultimately completely failed. Bruce says, Odin, are we going to talk about Harry, Meghan, and South Park? Um, well, since you brought it up, I will say yes. I watched the episode. It was hilarious. A uh, longtime South Park fan. And I also saw that apparently Meghan Markle has responded saying that she was deeply uh, offended and hurt by it, which is just, again, hilarious because if you actually watch the episode, she is playing into the very thing that... <laughs> That she is doing. She's she's playing into the oh man, they're they're paying attention to me. You know, stop paying attention to me as I hold up these signs and go. Oh, it's great. It's a it's a fantastic episode. Anyway, Keely Chow, what is going on? Baby Thor's doing fine. Wife's doing fine too. Miss Minnesota hockey fan, how about a hockey player? Hail to you, freedom. Hanging out over on Odyssey. Thanks for being here, Scott McKenzie. What is going on? Thanks for being a member on the channel. We also got uh, Ambrose Chamberpot hanging out. We got Alice McCarthy. Says, howdy, Odin. How's it going? How's Thor? Still having uh, positional headaches. So another day of just listening, unfortunately. Hard to read. The chat MCU is pineapple pizza. Hey, there you go. The R, what's going on, good sir? Thanks for being here. Kimberly G, what is going on, Kimberly G? Glad to have you here. Miss Minahagasan says, due to the snowstorm, I now have two days off of work. Well, that's kind of nice. It's nice to get those... Days off that you weren't necessarily originally planning on. Uh, UAB Mad Dog Mike Jackson, what's going on? Good sir. I see you hanging out over on Rumble. Gary Banjo Sandwich, tag to say, Ant-Man was a fail in every way. Hype train crashing into another year of Marvel dumpster fires from Deliver Us, uh, that deliver us pain in a world of make-believe that could bring so much joy. I mean, yeah, I, I, you just think about all the things they could have done with it. This is even going back to Doctor Strange 2, right? You're, you're, when you're dealing with the multiverse, in that movie, there are so many great, fun things that they could have done, and instead they decided to err on the side of, of wokeness and err on the side of bad storytelling and err on the side of just a lot of really bad things and bad ideas. You then go to Quantumania, and it's almost the same exact issues and problems. I would say that the one thing that Quantumania doesn't do to as much of an extent is make the main character a, a side character. Don't get me wrong. There are characters that get way more attention in Quantumania than they should, but I didn't feel like, I guess in comparison, I don't think that Ant-Man was as sidelined in the movie as Doctor Strange was in his movie, right? Um, or even as like Thor was in his movie, in addition to all the other character traits and character flaws that they were, you know, having. Again, it was there, but it was definitely not to the same extent. But there are just so many other issues with Quantum Mania because, again, there are so many things that they could have done, and instead they decided to go in these really dumb directions. And everyone's main agreement coming out of the movie was that, oh, well, well Kang is great. But when I went into it and I was focusing on Kang, I said, okay, I actually don't have an issue with the actor that plays Kang. Some people in my comment section were saying that they thought he was overhyped and that he wasn't that great. I agree he's overhyped. But he's not a bad actor. He, he's not a bad or, or terrible actor. And I just think, though, what he gives in that performance is not enough. Especially when he's giving this performance surrounded by CG, uh, probably in some type of, you know, green screen, blue screen suit. Um, and, and just, it looks so fake and so artificial. That's the reason why it's failing. They're failing because they're taking stories that could be easily home runs and instead striking out. By losing what originally made the Marvel films fun, which was heart, by losing that aspect of it and focusing instead on either one, really bad storytelling, two, woke storytelling, 
Three, sometimes even both of those things, when you add on top of that just very badly developed characters and some really just outright dumb decisions, you're left with nothing but a soulless shell of what used to be the MCU. Now, don't get me wrong, right? This is not something new, right? It's not like Ant-Man Quantumania is the first film to do this. This has obviously been around, you know, for me, I always say that my end point for the MCU is, is Infinity War. I, I thought that Infinity War was was very well done, especially for coming at it from like a moral lens and moral perspective. I thought that the moral evils brought forward by Thanos and how that represents what a lot of people in our current world and current New World Order regime honestly think about populations, etc. And showing again the evil of that act. I thought that ultimately made that a very compelling story. Then you jump ahead to Endgame and everything in between, and, and you're left with just complete and utter nonsense. Now, again, there were bad movies prior to Infinity War. I, I'm looking at you, Thor, uh, you know, Thor the Dark World, for instance, uh, amongst amongst others. Uh, also, the Avengers, uh, Age of Ultron. Again, others that can also be included in all of this. But ultimately, at the end of the day, bad storytelling is really what is is leading to all of these things just failing in so many ways. Gary Banjo, absolutely. And he says, shroving with pancakes. Yeah, I think that after the stream, if uh, if my wife's feeling okay, we're going to try and make some pancakes and uh, some eggs and some bacon uh, to finish off. So a little breakfast for, for a late dinner. Great, Wuda, what is going on? Thank you very much for being here. Uh, let's see. Zhang Hu says, Happy Shrove Tuesday. Blessed Shrove Tuesday to you as well. Scott McKenzie who's a member. I wonder if Ant Ladies will get the 65% drop off or more. It would not surprise me. It honestly would not surprise me at all if the film was a 65 plus percent drop. And it's for a couple of reasons. One, the film already came in well beneath the expectations internationally. Right, it came in forty to sixty million, depending on if you're looking at the 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 three day or the four day numbers. Right, coming in well below projections. It was just about exactly where they were projecting uh, on average for the domestic numbers. They had a high end number of like hundred and you know fifteen, hundred and twenty. That that may have been the four day um, number there. So th- there is definitely a story there or something to be said for that. I mean, there was a 45% drop from Sunday to Monday on a holiday, and it did clearly win the uh, the holiday frame as far as the Monday is concerned. No one was seeing anything else um, as far as the Monday numbers are concerned. We'll look at those numbers. But yeah, it's just interesting to me because though box office profit-wise, or rather dollar-wise, it does come across as being a much bigger film. When you look and see how much extra money they spent on this, because we do now have a report... I believe it was from Variety reported that the budget for the film was likely around $200 million. So we do have finally a report to say that the budget is around $200 million at least. That tells me a lot as well because it says, okay, they spent X amount dollars more than the previous film and only sold X amount more tickets. And I think that that ultimately is where this film is going to be viewed as not a huge success. I mean, the Ant-Man franchise is already not that big of a franchise for the MCU, but then you add to that the very subpar numbers internationally. Going back to the main point, yeah, I think that you could absolutely see some massive drop-offs coming next week. Um, no, Now, granted, maybe lack of competition might have an impact on that. I've, I've not looked to see exactly what the release schedule is. I'll go ahead and, and pull that up on my side screen right here because 
yeah, you, you might get some quote unquote competition from films like Cocaine Bear, but let's just be honest, who's who's going to go out to see Cocaine Bear in droves, right? You're going to see some decent numbers for Cocaine Bear, but it's not going to be something that people are going to be going out in droves to go see. And then next weekend, or the two weekends, basically, from now, you have Creed 3, which is not going to be the biggest film in the world, but it's probably going to be number one at the box office, I imagine. And then you have 65 coming out the week after that, as well as Scream 6. Um, and then you have Shazam! Fury of the Gods. So it's got only about a, maybe a week's window, whether you want to see Cocaine Bear as, as a possible threat or not to the number one spot. But that still is a lack of like competition for the type of audience that goes to see these movies. So, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if we saw one of two things. Either one, a 65% drop, or potentially we see a just a massive, massive drop. Because this, is some, this has also been something that has been completely standardized by modern-day MCU films. That This has become the new standard for them. This has become what they are most known for, are, are their historic drops. And we'll talk about those today. Uh, Jacques Wasab over at Ozzy says, was there any audience reaction to seeing uh, MODOK? So in the screen that I was in, as I said, opening night in a 2D screen, and this was at a 7 p.m. showing too. So this is like a primetime showing. They had almost no, again, no, almost no one was in there for one, right? About seven of us, maybe 10 max. And when MODOK was on screen, I just cringed. I just, I was like, I have no idea who this character is from, from the comics. Clearly they're using this in the movie as a comic relief character, but the CGI and concept are just so stupid that if anyone was laughing and I don't remember hearing a lot of laughs on him, I would be surprised if it was people laughing like, what in the heck am I looking at? Yeah. Modoc was not good. Jacques Lesuave. Thank you again for hanging out over at Aussie. By the way, Zach IR is hanging out over there as well. Right back into the YouTube chat. Master Gaming says, If Ant-Man 3 failed in Asian markets because of sci-fi, then why were both Avatar movies succeeding in the Asian markets? Well, again, I would love to ask that question to the people over at Deadline who claim that and some of the other box office pronosticators as well. My guess is that they would try to argue that it wasn't China necessarily. It was all the region, right, of the, you know, uh, you know not just... China, but also Japan and, and Taiwan and maybe other places too. But it, it does, you're right. It doesn't make any sense at all, right? It, it doesn't make any sense uh, whatsoever, uh, their logic, or rather their lack of logic, which is probably why it actually makes the most sense. Uh, Scott McKenzie says, are you going to live stream your gaming? Probably not. I mean, I'm already 10 hours into the story, um, so it would be a weird spot to pick up. Also, time, as you all know, I, I if I had the time to stream more, I would. But family comes first. Right, there's God, there's family, um, and then I, I, of course, have my full time job. So probably not going to stream it. Though I have been playing around with the uh, the PlayStation Remote Play, and if I can somehow make that work, uh, you know, maybe I just don't know where I would put it. Gary Bedger says a boomerang, uh, Hogwarty. Not necessarily boomerang it, but Mike Jackson, what's going on, Harwick? I saw the socialism is a loaded word clip from Quantum Mania and Hope gave Hank a disapproving look to get him to stop. In context, do you think the movie is siding with him or her? Uh, I think that it's siding with him because what you end up seeing is it's it's effective and it works. Is what they're showing, right? The ants are able to, within this socialistic, communistic society, this technocratic society that he says that they have built, advance and be successful. 
and end up being ultimately that which helps to lead to the defeat of of the villain in the movie. So, yeah, I mean, you might see that side look given by the character. I think that's more of a character staying in character and not the writers trying to indicate their thoughts one way or the other. Let's see, King Kane Rumsky over on Odyssey, sorry, over on Rumble, said, did Ant-Man, Hank Pym, at least act like men heroes, or are they just wimps like the men in every other uh, Marvel movie since Endgame? I thought that they were fighting. Yeah, I think that I would say, yeah, Ant-Man, uh, Scott Lang, and, and Hank Pym's character, I thought they were acting like, like men. I thought they were acting like heroes, but ultimately, they're just so poorly written that it doesn't make up for it, you know? It's like, okay, so the, the one film where we don't have them getting just sidelined every five seconds, and they are sidelined at, at various points in the movie, but just not to the same extent, as I said. Not not nearly to the same level that Doctor Strange. Doctor Strange was very much a bait and switch. With this one, at least they're being honest with, you know, Ant-Man and the Wasp. And interestingly enough, I would actually argue the Wasp is sidelined more. Keep in mind, she has top billing in this movie, right? It's Ant-Man and the Wasp. And yet... Uh, again, the iteration of the Wasp in the movie ends up being sidelined. Now, one could argue saying, well, the original Wasp is actually given a much bigger role, so technically it still follows it. Yeah, but when people think of Ant-Man and the Wasp, right, they are thinking of the characters of Scott Lang and Hope, right? Th those are the characters that are being uh, that are being discussed, and those are the characters that people are thinking about. And instead, they decide to go more so focusing on so so again Hank Pym gets a little bit more to do in this movie which is kind of nice but then they also give a lot more focus instead to uh to the original wasp now i will say of course story wise that does make some sense because she is the one that was in the quantum realm for a long period of time but then it raises a lot of questions about how time actually works within the quantum realm and then the aging that happens of her character i just yeah not it's just not well written not well written. Uh, Abomination, what's going on? I see you hanging out over on Odyssey as well. Uh, Laura says, I went to the movies yesterday, and I'm so glad I skipped Ant-Man. Ah, you're glad that you skipped the modern major general. Um, is very happy she skipped it. What'd you end up seeing instead? Tell me more, tell me more. Uh, Bruce says, from Megan and Harry, stop talking about us. Leave us alone. Give us our privacy. Yeah. Give us our privacy. So, so good. Let's see, Jester of Roanoke, what's going on? Welcome. Brightburn, I to say, I don't know if it matters, but I've heard the Flash film in June is pretty much Man of Steel 2 Electric Boogaloo, and if you've seen the trailer, you know why that is. Well, I it would be hard for me to see how it could be that, seeing that Henry Cavill's not in the movie, or at least... <laughs> that's a weird one. Keely Chow, Gary was also not a gamer. This is very true. But he also has a lot more time to be able to do things like that. Uh, the Batfin, what's going on? Welcome. Freedom is a great screen name. It really is. There's an exclamation point behind it, too. Uh, Physics Channel with Kelly Lee says, hello, hello to you. Physics Channel with Kelly Lee. Thanks for being here. Harwick, what is your take on Nebula's appearance on the Guardians of the Galaxy 3 poster? Do you think it's just a fluke or reflects something in the movie? I don't think it reflects anything in the movie. I, I, I wouldn't say, but I also wouldn't say it's a fluke. You know? They're clearly trying to de. It's not even because, as you all know, I do not like when characters are over sexualized or or when there's overt sexuality. Like I, when it's something that does not need to be seen or shown, it shouldn't be. But in the case of the poster, they're clearly trying to take what is 
very definitive about the female form and reduce it. And the excuses that have been come up with to try to defend it don't make any sense either. So it's clear that the poster was absolutely done on purpose. I don't think it has any necessarily, necessarily any connection with the movie. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if the poster was, uh, was touched up after the fact, right? That they went in after the fact and digitally, you know, defeminized her basically. But it's just, once again, an attack on femininity itself, right? And, and again, it's, it's one of those things where it's, it's a complete overcorrection because while I definitely support the non-sexualization of men or women, right? I don't think that either should be sexualized. When you start to try to take away just key parts of the form that makes man and woman distinct from one another, that becomes a problem. Great Widow says, I want to watch Luther the Fallen Son next week ahead of Ant-Man 3. Brightburn says, I heard the problem with Doctor Strange 2 and Ant-Man 3 is the writers. The writers don't have much experience. Kevin doesn't go after the best writers. Well, so it's it's either he... The, the problem is either ever... For him, it's either ever going to be the writers or the director, right? In the case of both of these films, the, the director does have some experience, right? Especially with Doctor Strange, it has Sam Raimi. But yeah, the, the writers on these films are also, if you ever look up the credentials, look up the credentials for any of the writers or directors, and you'll find either that they have no credentials or that their credentials are so limited. And even some of their talented directors that they've gotten in, right? And I would argue, and I know some people may not agree with this, but I would argue that Chloe Shao who they got in to direct Eternals, is a talented director. But the problem is, is that Kevin Feige's MCU does not really give a lot of autonomy to its directors because they already have a set in mind, right? They already have a vision in mind, and so the director has to work within that framework. That's not where you... You don't bring in Chloe Zhao to make a Marvel movie, right? And again, this is on her, too, for signing the contract, knowing that she wasn't going to have any control or... Uh, we would assume knowing that or having some idea that she wouldn't have a lot of control, especially with all the reports out from people who were, you know, talked about or, you know, had gotten talked to about directing, but found out that they wouldn't direct any of the action sequences. And so then ended up, you know, not signing with them. But ultimately, too, it's like that's not the kind of movie that Chloe Zhao is is going to be able to do well, you know. So I I look to things like that. And then I look to the writers of of these films, too. And, you know, you look and you say, if any of them have anything good from their past, typically it's going to be something very niche. It's going to be something that has no connection or no way in which Kevin Feige would be able to look to that and say, ah, they can do a Marvel film, you know? Unless it's him trying to say, oh, I can get them cheap or, oh, I can get them and I can have control over the creative process. I don't know what it is, but obviously what they've been doing is very consistent, it is very consistent, right? But it's also just downright stupid. Let's see. Jilo says, what did you think of the end credit scenes? I did not care about them whatsoever. I thought that uh, both of them were pretty forgettable. And I'm sorry, but like at the end, when it just says Kang will return, there was no reaction from the screen. Right. Typically, when you had that, I remember when back in the day, right, when they were first doing this, that used to get people excited. Right. They'd be like, oh, man, I can't wait for this. People did not care. And I think it ultimately comes down to because this movie does not do Kang any justice. I have the same thoughts about Kang as I did after the Loki series where I'm like, wait, you're telling me that this guy is a human and he's just really, really smart 
And so, therefore, he is a big bad that we should be concerned about. And I know that some people will explain saying, well, the comics will go in this direction to say, well, he's been able to basically control the timelines and uh, knows a lot about them. And so from that, he's able to like upgrade and all this other stuff. And okay, you you can go in that direction if you want. And I'm sure the comics do the character more justice, but that's not what the movies are doing. The movies are just like, oh yeah, he's really smart and uh, be afraid of him. And I'm like, I have no reason to be afraid of him, right? Kang is on... If we were going to rank, right, if we were going to put, like, level of, like, ooh, this is a big bad to be concerned about, right? Thanos, let's put Thanos as, like, the standard at the 10. Kang is, like, a negative 10 on that scale. It's like, okay, yeah, maybe you could have as a singular villain in a movie. Like, for instance, in Ant-Man Quantumania. Okay, if he's just a single villain and then he just goes away after the fact, okay. But then you're like, oh, no, he's going to be the big bad for the what's going forth. It's like, no, it's just so silly. Just so silly. Anyway, uh, Joey Horn, what's going on? He says, happy Fat Tuesday. Happy Shrove Tuesday. That's right. I will I will throw that out. Laura says, sorry if I missed this, but is there a reason you're having pancakes? So uh, the reason why it's also called Pancake Day. So uh, Shrove Tuesday, Fat Tuesday, Mardi Gras, they're all one and the same. They all stem from a, an ancient Christian tradition. And it all stems from ancient traditional uh, traditional practices of fasting. And and abstinence, right? So it used to be in the church, uh, back when it was things were a bit more serious, where you would fast from, right? Well, first off, you would fast throughout the entire forty days of Lent. So you would have one primary meal, maybe you would have a very very small snack in the morning, maybe one in the evening, but really you would have one principal meal, and of that meal, it would also be meatless, and not just meatless, but essentially vegan. So, because it would be a vegan diet, you had Mardi Gras Pancake Day developed. Because think about it, what are things that would go bad after you know you know for a vegan diet? What are things that you would typically have if you're not typically a vegan that would go bad over forty days? Milk, eggs, right? And so these would be the things that you would get rid of. And so what do you, what can you do? What can you make with those items? Ah, well, pancakes. King cakes, right? There's all these things that then develop from that tradition. And so that rich Catholic tradition, unfortunately, just gets kind of just swept under the rug in a lot of ways um, with modern iterations of Mardi Gras, where it's all about excess and beads and all this just silly, silly stuff. And, um, and and that's why I just go to, you know, for me, I just see it as Shrove Tuesday. It's like, no, it's, it's the last day before Ash Wednesday. And, um, but in honor of at least one iteration, which is more it, it, the origin of it comes from England, is uh, Pancake Day. Uh, it's just kind of in like, you know, union with that, because I do think that it's actually much more of a traditional understanding. Because it's like, oh, what can you do with eggs and milk and, you know, some flour and things like that? Oh, wait, you can make pancakes. You know, and typically it would be the community would make pancakes and they would share the food. Right. All these other things. King and Rumsky over on Rumble says, in your opinion, was Feige always bad or did he go woke after Endgame? Uh, I think he's always been uh, overrated because you look to his early career and you have to recognize or ask the question at least how much of the early Marvel films were him and how much of it was, well, I think it was uh, Perlmutter who was one of the original minds behind it. And eventually he was like kind of like pushed out. So how much of it was Perlmutter? How much of it was Feige? I think there's an argument to be said that it was not Feige. Uh, at least not completely. And 
in the best case scenario, Feige obviously had something in the beginning and then over the course of making his films and building up these universes, he clearly went off the rails somewhere. So even best case scenario, he went off the rails at one point, you know? So see, Laura says Ant-Man, not that big of a franchise because ants are lil. I see what you did there. J.D. Kirby, what's going on? Crisco, I haven't seen Ant-Man 3 yet. It probably won't. My main problem is that Ant-Man movies were always the dessert films of the MCU. They were never meant to be main courses. Agreed. And that's essentially what they're what they're trying to do here with this one, right? Is they're trying to raise it to that level. And so I guess that will uh, bring us to our first discussion, which is over the the box office for uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. So for the weekend, for the three-day numbers, the numbers have been updated. And so it did actually make up a little bit more, made a little bit more than what originally had been uh, estimated. So it made an extra like million dollars. So it had been at 105. It actually made around 106.1. And this is for the three-day. Uh, it made an extra 14 to 16 million on the Monday after. But anyway, with this, you look and see, okay, 106 million dollars. Okay, that's that's a pretty decent amount of money for an Ant-Man film, right? And when you especially compare that to Ant-Man and the Wasp, the last of the films, you look to that and you say, okay, 76 million dollars when adjusted for inflation. Keep in mind that this number, right, the adjustment for inflation on the numbers. It's not using the most up-to-date. Um, and this is something that I even broke down in my own ticket charts. I updated it to try to be more reflective of what a site like the numbers would be using for the metric instead. But if you were to put in on, for instance, if you go to the U.S. government's uh, BLS.gov and you say, what is a dollar in 2015, uh, you know, what's a dollar in 2018 worth right now, right, from uh, the, the month of its release, the end of the year, uh, of its release, and then from the very beginning of 2023, it actually jumps up quite a bit uh, when you add in starting with 2023. And so that actually makes it a lot closer numbers-wise. But even just based on this, people say, okay, look, $76 million, $106.1 million. Okay, all right. That's, that seems like a pretty decent amount of money to to have as an increase, right? Now, Ant-Man yeah, and the Wasp, of course, ended up $627 million when all was said and done. But then you look at this international box office, all right? And then the Wasp made $49 million internationally. I do not see Quantumania getting to that same number, especially since it is not doing very well. I mean, they tried to argue saying, well, if you take China out of the equation, things change. It's like, this film is tracking internationally. It is tracking in like-for-like markets behind Ant-Man and the Wasp. But here's the bigger thing, all right? Here's the bigger issue. You see this number right here? All right, this was the projected budget for Ant-Man and the Wasp, and this has been adjusted for inflation. Ant-Man and the Wasp back in 2018 cost 138.8 million dollars. The early estimates right now, right, the the official reporting coming from Variety, uh, amongst others, is that the film Ant-Man and the Wasp: Quantumania cost 200 million dollars. So they spent an additional 70 million dollars on the film. Even that alone, you get an extra $70 million and you get a very small increase numbers-wise. But here's where it gets even worse, all right? Remember I did this uh, breakdown of the tickets? So I've updated it with this $106 million opening and this does still have a slightly different right metric. So a dollar in 2018 is actually worth about $1.13 by the end of 2022. So it actually jumps up a little bit. Uh, so that number actually becomes closer to $90 million. So that's why it's not as much of a difference. When you take that into account, 
What doesn't change though, regardless of, of what numbers are being used, is really the number of tickets though. So the first Ant-Man film opening weekend sold around 6.7 million tickets. Second film around 8.3 million. This film around 11.5. So clearly it is the most successful. The problem is, is that for one, this is using an average ticket price of around $9.11 in 2018, 842 back in 2015, and an average of 917 today. So you're looking at only a, a six cent increase in average ticket sales between Ant-Man and the Wasp 2018 and Quantumania today. And the reason why that's a problem for both of those movies, in fact, is that the average ticket price for the opening weekend especially is actually a lot, and likely rather, a lot higher for both of those movies. And the reason why is because about 40 plus percent, I think 46% of the tickets sold for Quantumania at the very least were all premium screens. So we're talking IMAX, we're talking uh, you know Dolby, Atmos, right? All of the big uh, screens not even including 3D. When you take into account all of those numbers, if you have even just half of those being the bigger uh, screens, right, the higher cost tickets, that automatically means that the average ticket price for this movie, for opening weekend at least, is actually going to be a lot higher than what the average is, all right? So again, the average ticket price right now is $9.17. The average ticket price for 2018 was $9.11. But even for 2018, this number, actually, the average ticket for opening weekend would have been higher because 2018, this is, again, that post-Avatar uh, world, right? Uh, and so, therefore, you still have films getting released in, in 3D. You still also have, of course, the premium format screens, too. And so, the number of tickets sold for this movie probably is also not as high as it actually is. But the, the bigger issue, right? They spent, what again? An extra $70 million dollars and only got maybe an increase of a million tickets when you take that into account, maybe even almost no change whatsoever. So 70 million, and they really couldn't improve their opening weekend by all that much when you bring all of these things into account, right? When you bring as much of the data as you possibly can into the discussion. So this is definitely not a good sign for this film. Because if we see the kind of drop-off that we're likely to see, because guess what? Critics have panned this, but audiences haven't been all that much kind to it either. I mean, obviously, the audience rating for this is going to be higher uh, because it's an MCU film, and so you have the MCU fandom that will generally give support, right? Because the fandom is no longer made up of, of Marvel fans, right? Of comic fans, of, you know, and this is a generalization. Most of the people who make up the MCU stand base are the MCU stands, right? The, the people who just love anything MCU, anything superhero, and so they're going to enjoy it even if it's clearly bad. And so that's why you probably saw some decent ratings coming out of the, you know, whether you're looking at the incredibly unreliable metric in uh, CinemaScore or even something else to like, you know, Metacritic, and I haven't actually updated it and checked with Metacritic since uh, opening. So let me see actually if we have a, an audience rating for this. Um, so let's see. A 6.0 for Ant-Man Quantumania on 
the user reviews for the movie. So 200 positive to 103 negative to 59 mixed based off of 306 reviews. So yeah, definitely not, uh, definitely not good. Definitely not good. Now I don't have what the other films were, but I know the first Ant-Man film was generally well received. The second one was a little bit mixed, though I think it definitely skewed more positive. I think this is the most negative viewed, and, and again, I think for good reason, because the film is just not very, very good, right? So you look to these numbers and you see, okay, this is the reason why there's likely going to be a pretty massive domestic drop-off. You already had a international failure in its opening, again, coming in well below the projections internationally. If you then add to that, if in, if it, if it indeed the second weekend numbers come out and those numbers are very bad, right? If we are seeing the types of drops that we saw for um, for movies like Doctor Strange, we're seeing the same percentage drop off. That that's not going to be good for this movie, right? Because this film came in underneath Thor: Love and Thunder, underneath, obviously underneath Doctor Strange Two, uh, has come in underneath all of the other MCU films that have come out since. Uh, Doctor Strange. And again, these are films that are not meant to make a lot of money, but they put $200 million in. They put in roughly the same amount of money as they did for all of their other projects. And yet this film fall, fell far below what this film should have made in comparison to those other films that they spent the same amount of money on. So again, you're looking at a film maybe ca- capping out at $600 million. And even though $500 million is is the break-even point that I have for the film... I mean, you're looking at the film maybe barely breaking even, maybe getting to 650, but that's just not good. That's just not good at all. So anyway, that is the current update on the Ant-Man box office. What say you? Let's head back into the chat. Again, if you have a comment or question, just put at Odin at the very beginning of your comment, at Odin. Let's me know you're trying to get my attention. Let's go ahead and see what's going on. Kinkane Rumsky over on Rumble says, I forgot what you said was the projected range Ant-Man Quantumania was supposed to make over opening weekend. Uh, thought it was $180 to $200 million or so. So for opening weekend worldwide, it was $280 million. Worldwide opening weekend. Deadline was reporting this. They had early estimates of it making 280 The film made 225 worldwide. So that is far below. And even in their article, they admit that it was below, but then they try to say, well, we did mention that they may not meet, reach this number because of the sci-fi factor, right? They try to use sci-fi as the reason why. It's like, maybe there's other things going on. Maybe there are other things that we could look to, like a bad story. But yeah, so that's the reason why for my title for the video for this past weekend, I said it was an international failure because... Based off of those metrics, the projections versus what it actually made, that is a failure. When you're expected to do 280 and you do 225 and your domestic is just right on the money and your international is the one that's far off, yeah, it's not a good look. Not a good look, especially with a $200 million budget. When you're you're paying an extra $70 million, an extra $70 million, and you're not getting the kind of return that you should be getting when you're adding that much more money to it. Unfortunately, that money was not used or spent on good writers and instead was spent on really bad, rushed, whatever it might be, CG. I mean, the CGI in the film is absolutely atrocious. Absolutely atrocious. Your average Patriot nerd, what is going on? Awesome one hanging out in the chat as well. Rob D. Tad to say, 
Uh, watch Doctor Strange 2 and Thor Love and Thunder for the Raven Awards. America Chavez wins most pointless character and Thor wins worst sequel. Hey, Rob D., well, thank you for participating in the Raven Awards. And if you have not voted yet, please go ahead and do so. It's going to be open for another few weeks. Uh, the Oscars are going to be uh, the Sunday after the 10th. So March 10th is a Friday. So that weekend would be March 12th, I think. We go up against the Oscars. We start a little bit earlier, and then we don't go the whole time as the Oscars because the Oscars is so overbloated. But yeah, our Wednesday Raven Awards will be coming very, very soon. And um, if you have not voted yet, uh, check out Heimdall. He'll have been posting the link or uh, will have posted the link. And if not, you can find it on social media as well. And uh, yeah, get your votes in there. But thank you for participating. And I'm, I'm sorry that you had to sit through two of the worst films. Uh, but that's one of the fun things about the Ravens is that it's both the best and worst. Um, but yeah, America Chavez absolutely is a just a terrible character. And uh, yeah, Thor... Yeah, Thor Thor is not just a bad sequel. This is a bad movie. Let's see. Master of Gaming says, Is it me or is Disney CGI getting worse? Between Modoc looking like George Lopez from Sharkboy and Lava Girl and Little Mermaid's latest trailer. I mean, yeah, I think that ultimately, and I think there's been some reports about how they've been overworking their CG artists and, and there's like a big problem going on. I haven't done as much research into that, so I, I don't know that for sure. But I'm pretty sure there's been an issue there. And so it's showing on screen. Right, it's clearly showing on screen because all of Disney's releases, whether it's Marvel, whether it's a live action remake of of a classic story, whatever it is, has just been downright atrocious for years now. And is it getting worse? I don't know. I think that if anything, it's staying exactly the same. And because it's staying exactly the same, where you see improvements almost everywhere else, I think that that ultimately is probably what is is leading to what we're seeing here. Over on Odyssey, Jacques Lesuave had to say, I don't know quite how to break this to you, but the mods have voted you out of O's Movie Blog due to reckless spending and eating women's sandwiches. We wish you well in your future endeavors. <laughs> okay. Okay. Give me the Veritas treatment, I see. How dare you? Zach IR says, Hollywood is exporting the garbage of American culture and fewer and fewer are buying. Yeah. I mean, again, there's a ton of things that are leading to what we're seeing right now in movies. That's definitely a big part of it, though, Zach, for sure. Uh, let's see. Over on... Uh, oh, uh, thank you very much. Alpha Suma. Alpha Suma, thank you for the $50 donation via Streamlabs. Thank you very much for, for circumventing. Uh, for now, still Mama Susan, but obviously she's stepping down. But I appreciate that. Google don't get a dollar of that. He says, here's to... I know it's supposed to say Mario. Here's to Mario making a billion. <laughs> Again, even Minions Rise of Gru with China was only able to get to 940, 960 million. And that, that's a part of a franchise. It's well-established film franchise specifically. Um, and so you look to something like that. And I'm again, I'm not saying that Mario has no chance of making a billion Alpha Suma, but I definitely think that uh I, I would not make that bet. And that's why I am not betting that it's going to make a billion. I'm betting the opposite. I'm thinking that it's going to do well. It's going to make its money back. But I don't think it's going to break a billion. I could be wrong on that. And that's why I was willing to bet eating pineapple on pizza. So either I'll be right. And Jeremy from Geese and Gamers will have to eat pineapple on pizza on Friday Night Tights. And it's going to be hilarious. Or 
I'm going to be wrong, and I'll have to eat pineapple on pizza, and I'm sure it'll be hilarious for a lot of people, except for me. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, it'll be interesting to see how all that plays out. Thank you very much, though, Alpha Sumer, for the support. I appreciate it. Harwick says, I agree with Crisco. I always liked that the Ant-Man movies were meant to be fun palate cleansers. Making the third one big and bloated takes away the charm. Well, especially since, like, because it's not even that it's a palate cleanser by design. It's rather a palate cleanser by nature. And so when you take something as a character that's supposed to be a smaller character, right? Not No pun intended. And then try to turn it into something more than what it is by shoving $70 million extra in the budget, trying to make some, uh, trying to make a story that people will care about with a bunch of mostly CGI characters and more CGI backgrounds than ever before in the franchise, you are ultimately just taking away any of the good positive elements that may have been in the first film, um, that may have very minimally been in the second film, because I think the second film has a lot of problems. And I think that ultimately they're going to pay the price for it. Let's see. Uh, Steven. What's going on? He said, curious to know what part of Quantumania did you know this movie was going to be uh, have a BS plot? For me, it was when we saw Cassie doing protest completely 360 personality change. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's very early on, and that happens very early on in the mo movie, too. So, yeah, I would say that that was definitely a, a pretty clear sign that things were not going to go well. Um, also, too, as soon as she starts talking about her knowledge of an ability to work rather as soon as it's revealed that the three characters, right. Who are not Scott Lang. So uh, Hank Pym, hope and the original wasp that they have been working with Cassie and that Cassie has somehow gotten some grasp on the quant on the quantum realm and has actually gotten to the point of building something that can communicate with the quantum. It's like I was like, okay, well, that's a that's way big of a stretch for what we know about her character, you know, because even Scott Lang, it's like he's never presented as being a really smart guy. You know, Hank Pym is presented as an incredibly bright, smart guy, but then also the way that they present it, it, it just it doesn't work consist with consistency because. It, it's indicated that everyone is in on it except for Scott, right? So so Hope and Original Wasp and uh, and Hank Pym are in on it, and that Scott's not in on it. But then Original Wasp acts as if she doesn't know everything. It's just very convoluted. So, yeah, very early on, it's very clear. Rob D says, Thor Love and Thunder also wins worse uh, writing. Mjolnir is now able to break itself apart, kill tons of enemies, and reform itself despite Jane being mortal, despite Mjolnir being broken. Oh, there's so many problems with that movie. Absolutely. But ultimately, I mean, the uh, the, the key quote-unquote defense is, well, in the comics, yes, but that's the modern comics, and no one's going to argue objectively that those have been any good, so... Uh, Laura says, so I saw Liam Neeson's Marlowe. Very disappointing attempt at a noir film. Jessica Lange was the film's only bright spot. Yeah, I, again, I know some people said that they were interested in it, but I'm sorry. If it's Liam Neeson and Open Road together at this point, I don't see how it can be good. I mean, I'm not saying that they've never done any film that has been good or has they've never done anything, you know, they've never worked well together. But what I will say is what they have done the last few years has just been put out a bunch of random straight-to-DVD-level movies. Harvick says, 
Yesterday, Carrie Dillon said she took full responsibility for how Nebula looks on the poster, but she seemed to think the complaints were just about her pose and elbow position. Okay, well then, clearly, she misunderstood the question. Then as Felicia does, they were defeminizing the women and demasculating the men. Yep. Would surprise me if that's a post-production thing. Brightburn, The Flash is Man of Steel 1 if you replace Clark with Kara, and if you have Keaton Batman fighting against General Zod and his army. I mean, I guess, but it's like, I guess in order for me to get there, I would have to care enough about the DCEU, which I just don't. Uh, the Flash care even less about, especially with the writer of Birds of Prey and uh, Ezra Miller. And there's just so many reasons to not care about this upcoming Flash film. Steven says, your thoughts on Echo, Agatha, Miss Marvel movies postpone? Well, first off, I believe Echo was going to be a series, and I think it got canceled uh, and postponed indefinitely. Uh, the Agatha Harness one, I think, might still be happening, but uh, Miss Marvel was indeed postponed, or rather, Miss Marvel was pushed back in the release calendar. So, the rather, the Marvels, sorry. The Marvels was postponed. Yeah, both of those are series, those aren't movies, so I'm a little confused over that, because um, I think that Echo, at the very least, was postponed indefinitely. I think that one's just done, um, and I didn't know or hear about Miss Marvel or Agatha, because I don't really care. He says, he thinks it's, uh, do you think it's due to Disney Plus subscriptions lost by two million plus? So, interesting fact about that, we actually talked about that on the Salty Nerd podcast uh, a couple weeks ago. Most of those losses came actually from India, because... Actually, wait, is that right? I'm not thinking of Disney or Netflix. I think I think it's Disney. I believe Disney in India had exclusive rights to showing Cricket and dropped it. It was either Disney or Netflix. And because they dropped Cricket, they lost 2 million subscribers. So that does change the narrative quite a bit because when you have people that are buying a, a service because it offers something that's unique and accessing... And then it's being dropped by a very specific group of people for a very specific reason. That is not nearly the same as, oh, a bunch of people are unsubscribing because they don't want to have it. Yeah, Dan Blackroy in the live chat says, India was Disney with the cricket. Yeah, exactly. So, again, I, I don't think that that's necessarily the reason why. Also, how many of them were actually paying full price? Disney was notorious for offering the Disney Plus subscription at a much smaller price in uh, either developing world, developing countries, uh, lesser developed countries, etc. Um, so again, it's probably still a decent amount, but yeah, I don't think that's necessarily the only reason why. I think it's probably because all of their stuff has been failing, right? They're already operating at a loss for the most part based on the amount of content they've created. And even though that they're making a decent amount as far as subscribers are concerned and, and how much they would be getting on average there's still a lot of questions about how much they're actually getting per month. Moves like this definitely don't give reason to have any type of uh, confidence, though, in the service. Rob D says, Again, with Thor Love and Thunder, I think I've seen the first film Chris Pratt clearly wanted no part of. Uh, Super says, Hey, what's up, my dude? Sorry, I'm late. No problem. Laura then says, The main problem with Marlowe is that Liam had no chemistry with femme fatale Diane Kruger. I've never seen Diane's appeal despite her beauty. I mean, I thought that she was really talented in Inglorious Bastards, um, but that's pretty much like the one thing that I would say like she did really, really a good job. Steven says, if Ant-Man Quantum Mania drops at least 50-60% second weekend, do you believe it can break even, or what will it take? I don't see this having strong enough, leg, strong enough legs due to audience feedback. 
So because it did cost $200 million, which is definitely on the you know, typical end, the $500 million mark in today's quote-unquote post-COVID world is not as hard of a number to break. You know, you go back to a film like Eternals that cost as much money as it did, that film barely broke $400 million. And it's because it was a bad movie, bad word of mouth, and cost a lot of money. You have this film, which also costs a lot of money, but now you have more theaters, more markets, and it's getting bad word of mouth, etc. So, because there's more theaters, though, because there's more markets that are available to this film versus a movie like Eternals, I think you can still make up that extra $100 million because of that fact, right? So, it would not surprise me at all to see the film break $300 million by the end of this upcoming weekend especially with very little competition. Again, I might be interested in Cocaine Bear because it's like, okay, not because I think it's going to be good, but because I'm just genuinely genuinely intrigued by the concept. But I'm not going to think or say that that movie is going to be able to bring in enough to, you know, if this film sees a 50-60% drop, you're still seeing the film make what either 50 or 40 million dollars. I don't see Cocaine Bear opening to to that kind of a number. Dan Crane says, Hail Odin, may the Lord shine upon you and bless you. Great to be here. Hey, glad to have you here, Dan Crane. Blessed Shrove Tuesday. The Irish Patriot Nerd, who's a member, says, Marvel's just destroying themselves and no one will care. Well, well, clearly some people care, right? I mean, I, I stopped caring a long time ago to the, to the degree that I care about specific properties or about things getting better. Obviously, I, I care still from from just a general from from just a general concept, but because ultimately, I think that it's going to lead to the destruction of a lot of things, which I think ultimately will include theaters and the movie going experience. Let's see, Kincaid Rumsky tagged to say, "Do you wear a tux and have a red carpet for Raven Awards ceremony?" I don't. It's very simple. Again, it's 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 typically just like this stream. Only we're going through the winners, right? Sometimes I'll, last year I know I put some like video packages together like I did for the uh, nominations. Um, and then I wear, I, I make it very classy. I wear a jacket, like a blazer jacket. And then usually I'm wearing a uh, tuxedo t-shirt if I can pull that off. Um, otherwise I'm wearing like my typical hoodie. So I try to make it basically as anti oscar as I possibly can. We, we, we spare no expense. Spare no expense here on, uh, on OMB Reviews. <laughs> but we, we have fun. We have fun. Uh, Steven says, Wondering if you plan on sharing what you want to give up for four days of Lent. Excuse me if it's a personal question. Have a wonderful day. Yeah, so one of the things, I, I joined a couple of groups. Uh, there's a great channel called Meaning of Catholic. Uh, Timothy Flanders, brilliant, brilliant mind. Very great commentary on just uh, Catholic apologetics. Catholic history, all kinds of stuff. And there are two groups that are attached with him. So there's one that is, it's the, both the telegram groups. One is for uh, people who are members of like his Patreon community, basically. And so there's like a, a rule set for that community. And then there's a new group this year that is, so that's called the fellowship of St. Anthony. There's also another fellowship that I'm a part of this year where it's about anyone who was interested in taking on a more traditional type of fasting, at least not talking about in general things to give up, but you know, for fasting and abstinence, right? What are some things, you know, following older, the older code of canon law, which was a lot more strict than the current one we have. So one part of it though, is to not be as, you know, 
obviously, you know, following what Christ says in Scripture to not, you know, boast of things in, you know, out, out in public doesn't mean we can't talk about it, right, from a, from a general sense. Just know that it's things like um, trying to go vegan for all of Lent, if I possibly can, for one, um, and trying to follow that. And then there's some other things, too. But that's kind of like the big thing for me, and that's why I, there might be some streams where I might be a little hangry because I haven't done a lot of uh, that type of or that level of fasting. So I've gotten a lot of really good advice. Uh, I've been following, obviously, a lot of uh, articles and things like that. But yeah, that's like pretty much all I would say because that's like a general uh, precept that we're all following in in the group that we're in. But yeah. See, Laura says, I did find an old Humphrey Bogart movie where he plays private investigator Marlowe called The Big Sleep. It looks much better. Yeah, I've heard about The Big Sleep, and I, I love me some Humphrey Bogart. I don't. I just don't think anyone can can kind of <laughs> beat his take on it. Uh, Steven says, curious to know if you ended up seeing Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey. Remember you stating that was one of your top movie you planned to see? So it was in my... Uh, I don't know if... I don't remember if that made that into my top five most anticipated. I think it made it into my uh, honorable mention, but... Or maybe I forgot how I did, how I broke down uh, most anticipated. So the problem with it is that it was very limited in its release. So I didn't even have time or get a chance to go see it. Unfortunately, definitely would be interested to find out more about it, though. So I don't know if it's going to continue to get released or get a wider release or be available still. But Great Widow says, I know the advertising budget was big because I saw the commercial uh, uh, those commercials a lot. Well, again, advertising budget budget's always large for any MCU film. But keep the, keep this in mind, all right? A typical rule of thumb is you multiply the production budget by 1.5, and that's what gets you your total cost with marketing, which would mean they spent around $100 million in marketing. That sounds about right to me for a Marvel film, right? $100 million plus. Now, sometimes people are able to gather further information, either from sources or... Maybe they even outright admit it, or maybe some other news site uh, makes projections based off of things that they know or people they've talked to. And so that's why I tend to stay away from that because it it typically is still guesswork. And so I go by, okay, what's the budget given to us? Okay, here's the budget. What is the typical standard cost of, you know, uh, compared to budget, right? Because then it's it's a percentage, right? So instead of saying, oh, Disney always spends $100 million on every single movie, it's like, well, no, if they spend $40 million production budget on a film, they're not going to spend $100 million on that film, right? So having the, you know, times 1.5 gets a much better metric of what the likely total cost of that film actually was. And again, is it a perfect system? No. Are there exceptions? Yes. But it's so hard to tell what film is going to, and if it is, in the grand scheme of things, it's all going to even out in the end, uh, most likely. But yeah. Harvey says, Promoter was in a creative. He raided uh, Feige's excesses and tried to keep wokeness out of the MCU. Feige got rid of him and the creative committee so there'd be no one to tell him no. Well, again, there you go. There you go. And there, Laura at 746. That's where I am in the chat. It's 802 in real life. So I'm about 15 plus minutes behind, which is exactly where I'm supposed to be. But yeah, if you want to vote in the Raven Awards, there is your link right there. Uh, Stephen Lee, what is going on? Thanks for being here. Let's see, Brightburn95 says, I think you can blame Ant-Man 3 on Peyton Reed, too, because a stronger director could have made the third Ant-Man uh, focus on what is supposed to be about fathers and daughters. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, it does come back to the director, because also, e even if he didn't have full control, he signed the contract to be the director. So, 
yeah, he does have responsibility for that. All right, over on Odyssey, Abomination Titus A should go all should go all out on presentation budget and get a confetti launcher and a neon sign that looks like Will Smith slapping Chris Rock. Do they even make those? That'd be hilarious if they did. <laughs> and then he said uh, he thought that it was an honorable mention talking about Blood and Honey. I think it was too, but I don't quite remember. All right, we'll get to a few more comments and then talk about the last of, uh, of the topics uh, of today. And then, of course, we'll get to some last comments and then wrap up with a little talk about Shrove Tuesday. I gave a basic description in the beginning of the show, though. Cacao Cookies Minions, what's going on? Hardway to say, MCU CGI is definitely getting worse. The only Phase 1 movie with any CGI as bad as the latest MCU is Incredible Hulk. And even in that one, at least the locations looked real. Well... Because the vast majority of the locations they used were real. So they definitely used sets, but they, there was a lot more in-world, real-world backdrops to the CG. And I would actually argue that the CG itself is not nearly as... It, it's, it has not aged nearly as bad. Oh, Laura, thanks for, thanks for saying. This is why I need mods. Yes, Laura. Uh, Heimdall is asleep. I am Suri. Mea culpa. Mea culpa, mea maxima culpa. I am sorry. Yeah, Heimdall was asleep indeed. I forgot to turn him on. Uh, he is he's warming up right now. For those who don't know, Heimdall is the bot system that I use, and it allows people to get digital cookies and stuff like that. So again, I am sorry, and there's no way for me to make up for the time uh, for those. But hey, thanks for being here, nonetheless. Sorry, not sorry. Uh, let's see. Father says, purple background. Lent doesn't start till tomorrow. I have no desire to see Antifa Man. Uh, Father, uh, correction. So um, I follow the uh, the traditional calendar, which is superior in various ways. For one, it retains the season of Septuagesima, which was suppressed by the Vatican II, post-Vatican II world. Um, and it's one of the silliest decisions ever made because Septuagesima helps prepare the mind and the heart for Lent. So whereas most people in the Novus Ordo are like, oh, it's Lent. Oh, my goodness. With this, you with the season of Septuagesima, you say, oh, we're three weeks out from Lent. Okay, we're two weeks out from Lent. Oh, okay, I should start actually getting to work. So because we are in the season of Septuagesima, it is indeed the correct liturgical color of purple because Septuagesima's colors are purple. It prepares us for the Lenten fast, prepares us for the Lenten celebration, and uh, again, Father, I hope and pray one day for you to learn the Latin Mass, the Mass of the Ages. Dan Blackroy, Tad say, if Super Mario just falls short of a billion dollars, will you eat pineapple on pizza in 10 years when, by inflation, Mario does cross 1 billion? Nope. It's going to be, what does it make this year? That is what the bet is. Harvick says, according to Midnight's Edge, Peyton Reed, Peyton Reed isn't to blame. Supposedly, his plan for the movie was very different, and Marvel Studio noted it to death. Yes, but he still agreed to make the movie, so it does still fall to him. Uh, Kinkade Rumshki over on Rumble says, did you just correct a priest? Uh, well, so first off, you know, Father Christopher Miller has been around the channel for, for quite a long time, so I think he, he knows that <laughs> I'm saying most of my things in jest. Obviously, I do honestly believe the older calendar is is better in certain regards. I think Septuagesima is is one of the best examples of that. Um, but uh, but uh, yes, I did just correct him because yeah, according to the modern calendar, it should not be purple. But because I follow the traditional 1962 calendar, 
it is purple and has been purple since Septuagesima Sunday, which was on February 5th. So, yeah, there you go. <laughs> uh, but yes, we like to have fun here. Abomination says, Odin corrects priest weekly. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, let's just say I'm very open and honest about my faith and various problems that exist within the modern church, especially in the post-Vatican II world, um, and uh, especially with liturgy. I, I mean, yeah, there's so many. That's why I would recommend to anyone who's interested, those who are Catholic, those who are just interested in the development of church liturgy or, you know, especially anyone, any priest. Father, if you've not gotten the Catholic Mass by Bishop Athanasius Schneider, I would, one, highly encourage you to get that. I would gladly buy you that book, by the way, and send it to you because I think it's that important that you and I think any priest and any bishop in today's church should read it. Um, Bishop Athanasius Schneider is a, is a brilliant, brilliant uh, modern day uh, prelate in the church. And then also I would highly encourage uh, Father and for anyone else who's interested also in, in history as well to watch. It's a documentary called Mass of the Ages Part 2 because it goes into the entire history of how the mass that we have today developed over time. And let's just say that there's a lot of things that um, are kind of left out of the story. I had to listen to a, a priest today actually try to explain why and how the changes occurred between Vatican II and, uh, you know, from, from the Latin mass to, you know, what we call the Latin mass to the, the Novus Ordo. And let's just say the description was so cringe and missing so much context and detail. It was hard to listen to. Uh, Miss Minnesota Hacker fan says, I have some, I have seen some pics for little mermaid. It looks dull and desaturated. The 89 film is full of bright colors. Yeah. I mean, that's why I, one of the many reasons why I'm just so tired of these so-called uh, live action remakes because they are about just as animated as uh, anything else. All right, let's see. Harwick says, I'm pretty sure that Quantum Media isn't what the third Ant-Man movie was originally supposed to be. The second movie sets up Lawrence Fishburne to play a big role in the third one. Again, that very well could be the case, but ultimately, I, I don't think the film would have been that much better. Because, again, when it comes to money-wise, right? Because even if that was the case... If they were to still give have given the film two hundred million dollars, I think you're still spending an extra seventy million, and I still don't think you would have gotten nearly as as much. Then I just released us, yeah. So uh, him and uh, Dan Blackrobe were able to confirm, yeah, Disney lost crickets. So that's why they lost as many subscribers as they did. Uh, so it was not because of MCU stuff; it was because of that, which makes a lot of sense. Harwick says, uh, Disparu said he thinks the CGI in Quantumania looks so bad because of the volume, the rear projection stage system. He says the volume always makes the background look extra fake. Well, I would disagree to an extent because there was use of that in the first season of Mandalorian, and there were definitely some sequences that looked pretty good. It wasn't perfect by any means, right? Anytime you use CGI or artificial backgrounds, there's going to be problems that show up. But yeah, I think that that is definitely... Uh, Something that very well could be the reason why. I, I think that it's not the volume. I think, so you're saying that as like the name of the system? No, no. I think that it's the actual volume of how much CGI they use. That's the big problem. Because when you use so much CGI like they do in all these MCU films, 
it makes everything look so artificial because you do still have some scenes that occur in the real world, but when you use so much of the CGI, what you have instead is just a a massive fake-looking, artificial-looking world that cannot pass and will never pass the uncanny valley effect, and it, it just becomes a big issue. Gary Banjo says, you should give up saying the word box office for Lent. Yeah, good luck to me. Harvick says, I found out the volume shots in Mandalorian look good only because they use it to get the right lighting on set, then remove the backgrounds and recomposite. Yeah, exactly. Obviously, he spent a lot more time. Jeremy Zakowski says, will Jeremy make a cameo appearance at your house just to slap you? What? Slapping is not a part of any wager whatsoever. Uh, Master Game, I recommend you watch Plane, Jesus Revolution, Operation Fortune, basically a Lionsgate marathon. Uh, Plane, I have only gen like a general interest in. Jesus Revolution, no thank you. Um, no, I, I'm sorry. It just, it looks very, very cringe. Uh, and then Operation Fortune, I don't know as much about that film. Off the top of my head. But my brain is kind of, uh, crapping out because I, I still haven't eaten dinner yet. Uh, Laura says, oh, forgot about Kr uh, Kruger's performance in Inglorious. Good point. Yeah, again, that one she's really good in. But I will definitely agree that there aren't a plethora of films, uh, that one could look to for her. For sure. Let's see. Dan, uh, Dan Blackroyd says, Do you have any thoughts on the turnaround from Black Adam to Ant-Man 3 with Rotten Tomatoes? People touted the audience score over the critics for that, but that but seemed to be silent now. Well, again, I think that ultimately it comes down to people not understanding, one, what the original Rotten Tomatoes score was in the first place. Right? People always misinterpreted what those scores were. And then two, they're still ignoring the fact that there are some key functions of Rotten Tomatoes that have changed so much that what was already a joke before has become just uh, completely unreliable now. Is a real lesson to learn that Rotten Tomatoes is completely irrelevant no matter what the point is? It is irrelevant, Dan Blackroyd. Absolutely. Right? And, and the fact is that people used to use it as a standard. Now, I think that in the old system, before they changed everything with, you know, whether it was the changes they made with Star Wars, the changes they made with Captain Marvel, it was always broken. But it used to be a genuine, oh, okay, 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 gotcha, 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 gotcha. Operation Fortune is the Guy Ritchie film. Okay, then yes, 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 yes. Definitely, definitely like me some Guy Ritchie. I thought there was another film. What was the name of it? Okay, my brain is fogging right now, so maybe that is the actual case itself. All right, let's jump to the uh, last thing I want to talk about as far as uh, stories are concerned. And that is the fact that I, I've done a little bit of gaming. All right, I've put about 10 hours of time into Hogwarts Legacy. Uh, I did want to put this story up, though, first, because I thought it was pretty great. Uh, from Battling the Comics here, it says, Anti-JK Rowling activist creates a list to catalog Twitch players who stream Hogwarts Legacy. Gets shut down after less than 24 hours. So, yeah, you, you play stupid games, you win stupid prizes. Um, as it says, a controversial website has gone offline after 24 hours. And again, I think that this is where one of those places where to be a free speech absol absolutist, I think, is untenable, right? Because to me, this, this this is too much, right? When you're keeping tabs and making a public list of people playing a game, I think you're putting a target on certain people's backs, and I think that that is something that is not good. I, I don't support that. What I do support, though, again, slightly related but unrelated... What I do absolutely support, though, is the the gameplay for Hogwarts uh, Legacy. So again, is it a perfect game? No, right. Obviously, there's some issues within the the general uh, storyline 
there's a couple of moments that I was like, oh, really? Did you have to go there? Right? Did you have to have that in there? Um, but it is, it's a lot of fun. Uh, the actual gameplay itself, actually playing through the world, playing through the game, is, is a lot of fun. The mechanics, I think, work pretty well. Uh, I, I still struggle so much, though, with remembering where these buttons go because I'm not much of a gamer. So I will say, though, the, the effects, uh, again, for me, look pretty great. Not not amazing, but but pretty great. Ultimately, it's the story, though, that I think is going to make this a... It already is an incredibly successful game. An even more successful game, though, as it goes on, as it continues right to be played through and, and to go through... I think that it ultimately will come down to the fact that the story is quite strong. Now, apparently, the way you interact with the game does impact some things down the down the road. I do like that it seems that you can decide to take on uh, basically whether or not you want to be a like a dark wizard type, right? I haven't gotten too far into that yet, but the fact that you can go that route is interesting to me. Um, there's also some really dark storylines too that I also. I, you know, appreciate that are in there. Uh, there's one story where you're, you're trying to solve like the mystery of it's like a, a murder mystery, basically. So you're trying to find out uh, and, and solve this case of, of, of this murder. You find out that this one woman was unrightfully uh, convicted to Azkaban and the effect that that had on like that whole storyline was so just, I was like, Oh my goodness, this is actually getting kind of creepy. Um, but yeah, so I played through about 10 hours, again, of the game itself, off and on, and um, it's it's been really good. And obviously, one of the reasons to support the game in general is because people are going after it uh, because of, you know, it's interesting to me, right, because they're going after J.K. Rowling for being a feminist, so they will admit she's a feminist, but they will say, oh, no, no, she's a turf, right, trans-exclusionary. So because she states biological fact men are men and women are women because of that alone there are crazy people out there that want to cancel her and want to cancel her game now here's the funny thing when i look to the writers of this game and the producers at least the, the primary ones she's not listed at least according to wikipedia not that it's the most reliable thing in the world but she's not like a lead writer on this story uh she's not the director of this story she obviously greenlit it, may have had some influence on it, maybe, but uh, ultimately it was, it was so, but because of the fact that it is obviously rooted in the Hogwarts universe, and that means, of course, that money will at some point, royalties are obviously going to be going to J.K. Rowling. The fact that just even that, though, alone makes them want to go after not just the game and the fact that it's by J.K. Rowling, but also that they want to go after anyone playing the game, it just does not make any sense, especially when there are clear examples in the game of it being kind of modernist, right? At one point, there is a couple, there's there's a woman you meet along the way, and she's like, oh yeah, my wife. So it's not like it's some like crazy, you know, conservative Christian world, you know? Um, in fact, I, I imagine there's probably a lot of Christians and, and uh, religious who are probably like, don't play this game because of witchcraft. And hey, I don't agree with that overall assessment because I don't think this is going to lead to actual witchcraft, right? Uh, I know that there have been some who have said, 
who has spoken negatively about the Harry Potter books and things like that. I just, to me, it's like, I don't quite go that far. I think that there's fantasy and I think that this absolutely fits within the realm of fantasy. Um, you know, could there be some arguments made about certain elements that, that might go a little bit too far? Maybe, but ultimately I think that for the most part, no one who reads these books are going to be, um, pushed in the direction of the occult. I don't think. Yeah. I just don't see that happening just based on my wife's experience and how big she is into the books and everyone else. Like, so I think that's kind of like a, it's a, it's another story and it's a whole other thing to go into. But ultimately though, right. The big story with this game is how there was this supposed boycott. And I think it ultimately was just the, the Twitter mob, right. Who used to think and used to actually have some power because people believed that they did. But I think now hopefully, more companies realize, no, 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 they're just a small group of people on Twitter and social media who have no actual power whatsoever. And you want a case in point? Hogwarts Legacy. One of the top selling games. The game was regularly in high positions in Steam's weekly global top seller charts based on pre-orders alone. And most recently, uh, the game broke Twitch's record for the most live viewers for a single player game. So again, doing a lot of amazing things there. Um, but anyway, so I've been playing it. It's a lot of fun. And uh, I will say, I'm definitely looking forward to <laughs> jumping back into the world. Um, I think my wife's playing it right now. At least she was when I when I left. Um, there's a lot of things story-wise that she hasn't gotten to yet. Um, so I don't know if I'll be able to play it uh, tonight or not. But yeah, it's fun. Gameplay is fun too. All right, Great Wuda says, Operation Fortune is coming out the same time as Creed 3. Okay. Oh, and did you celebrate the vote of mass for the Holy Face? Padre Cusinero, I wish. Um, again, the problem that I have is that I live where I live in a diocese where, in a parish where there is a Latin mass only once a week on Sunday, which it's, it's a lot better than it was. It used to be where we only had the Latin mass once a month. And the Latin Mass community has has grown quite a bit. There's a huge Latin Mass community at at our church, and so it, it still boggles my mind because of how large the community is. Why they haven't added daily masses, or at the very least, from the main feast. Um, my guess is that it has something to do either with the relationship with the bishop, probably more so now because of uh, Tradiciones Custodes from Pope Francis and all that crap going on. Um, but uh, unfortunately, I don't have those types of masses being offered uh, anywhere near me. I, I wish there was. Um, there's not even there's not even SSPX um, near me. Let's see, Zach Richmond. Yes, Hogwarts is fun for sure. Uh, rhymes with orange. Exactly. The only reason why that list exists was for retaliation. That's why I would say them shutting it down absolutely would be correct. Uh, Alexander, what's going on? Fred Farkle, what's going on? Thanks for being here. Um, let's see. Ba -ba -ba -da -bum. Let's see. Alpha Sumo, what's up? Crisco tag to say, which do you like better? Uh, Hogwarts Legacy or Zelda Breath of the Wild? Oh, I, I would definitely say Zelda Breath of the Wild. But I'm also much more of a Zelda fan. So I think that that might be the reason why. I think the story of Hogwarts Legacy is better because there's just so much, like, there's so much to, like, the history like, Breath of the Wild, to me, is just a better game. Like, there's just... The world is just so massive. And it's massive in, in Hogwarts Legacy, too. But 
it's also just so unique and there's a lot of different game mechanics that I think are a lot of fun. And again, Hogwarts Legacy has that too. So I would say Breath of the Wild is a better game. Hogwarts Legacy, I think, has a better story. But again, that, that's, that's just me. Let's see. Uh, Lawrence Blunt says, Father Lambert had a great stance on Harry Potter. Paraphrase, if your kids know the Bible better than Harry Potter, there's no issue. Yes, exactly. Exactly. I think that that is probably the best way to really take it is that it's only a problem if it, and the same with just video games in general, right? Um, you know, if, if it was consuming my life, then, then it would be a problem, right? If, if it was taking time away from other things, then that would be something where it'd be a problem, but it wouldn't be the story itself necessarily, at least in its current form, right? At least as it currently exists. All right, let me see. Um, Kingan Rumsky says, what are you having on your pizza tonight? So I'm not having pizza tonight. Uh, I was tempted to get, get pizza, but, um, you know, we're going to do uh, pancakes. We're going to do breakfast for dinner with some pancakes in honor of Pancake Day, Shrove Tuesday. And uh, also, I'll have my last uh, of my bacon as well. So, let's see. Abomination says, yep, there's some real dark story in this game. I like how it's not all it's not all kids. Go- oh, no, it's not. Oh, no, no. It is definitely not. It is not a kids game at all. Uh, I think it is rated for teens. And I think that sounds about appropriate. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, there's some really, really dark stories. Um, and I think that it does it very effectively. Uh, Kimberly G watching as play was fun and made me scream at him. He's great at combo wand fights, but answering questions in the game, ugh, he, he knows none of the lore. Oh no. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I've definitely been playing it you know, I got sorted into into Hufflepuff based on my responses, but it's 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 so it's not like they ask you a thousand questions and they try to get you in the right house. Like again, that kind of thing can fall into superstition too, right? If anyone honestly thinks that their quote unquote Hogwarts house has any value in their life, it's similar to those who think that their star sign has value, right? That's superstition and that's something that should be avoided. If it's something where you just it's just like again some fun thing, right? It's like, well, I got sorted in Hufflepuff. Um, but it's because I knew, oh, there's one question where there's four responses, there's four houses, which means that whatever you answer for this question is going to be the house that you get put into. And it's like, which quality most reflects you? And I'm like, well, loyalty. I think that's a quality that I care a lot about. Um, and again, that's just something where it's just a fun thing to, to, to do. So not take any actual stake or any value in. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so, but it's. It's fun, though, to get the questions that are beyond that, where it's asking, basically, what kind of person do you want to be? So you, you'll complete a challenge, and sometimes there's no real prize. And so sometimes you have the option to say, oh, I want you to pay me more. So it's like you can kind of build yourself up as like a bat. I haven't done that yet, though, because that's, just, again, that's not the kind of person I am in real life. So uh, Harwick, have you ever had Cajun-style rice dressing? Um, I've had Cajun rice from Popeye's, which is delicious. I know that there's Cajun rice outside of that, but the only Cajun rice I've ever been able to stomach has actually been the uh, Cajun rice from Popeye's. And the reason why is because the rice is just very, very soft and delicious. Yeah, it's fast food, but it's great. JKD Buck, what's going on? Welcome. Uh, We are wrapping things up here. Brightburn, don't know if you're familiar with ZZ Top, but I think Sharp Dressed Man, Sharp Dressed Man, and Give Me All Your Lovin', 
are all pretty catchy. And if you haven't heard them before, I try. Oh, those are both very, very fun songs for sure. Yes. Very, very catchy. Very, very, very catchy. No doubt about that. So I guess we'll go ahead and wrap things up. So yeah, it is as the third point of the uh, video title suggests, it is Shrove Tuesday. So again, Fat Tuesday, Mardi Gras, Shrove Tuesday, I'll talk about the same thing. Tomorrow is the beginning of Lent. So if you are someone that follows Lent, even if you're not Catholic, it is a good time to think about, okay, what are some vices in my life that I've been working on or been needing to work on? Lent's a great time to work on those vices. What are some uh, things that maybe you could give up that you enjoy doing? right? Lent's a great time to offer up sacrifice. Um, what are some things that you could ad- add on to your uh, life, right? Some good things, some good acts, some good works, some works of charity, works of prayer, right? What are some things that you're not doing that maybe you should be doing, or maybe some things that would be good for you to add to your spiritual life? Those are the kinds of things to think about at this point in, in, in uh, you know, before Lent starts tomorrow. So obviously, I, I hope everyone has a, an incredible and blessed uh, Shrove Tuesday, uh, as we are getting to the close of Shrove Tuesday. For some people who are watching, it's already Ash Wednesday where you are. And so I hope you have a blessed Ash Wednesday, a blessed start of your Lent. And so, yeah, um, I hope that everyone is is prepared. Again, whether you celebrate or commemorate Lent or not, it's just a good time, I think, to connect with, uh, with, with people who do. And uh, one way to do that is to think, okay, all of us, no matter... What denomination we're part of, whether we're Christian or not, all of us have something that we can work on. All of us have something that we could probably add to our life that we probably should, right? That would be a better thing for us to have in our life. And I think that ultimately it would be uh, a good time to do so. So if you want to unite yourself uh, with with me or with anyone else who is celebrating Lent, uh, tonight would be the great night to come up with a list of things, right? And, and commit to a few of them, right? Never try to overdo it. Uh, do know that there is grace, right? Many of the things that we take up during Lent are not required of us, right? They are uh, things that we uh, choose to take on, and obviously we should take those seriously. Uh, it's not like a blood oath or anything like that, um, <laughs> but it is something that I just love. I love this time of year so much. I love the Lenten season because it is uh, it's 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 the great penitential season for one, and, and two, it is a wonderful time just to get kind of back to, to get back to a level head, you know, during the year we get so caught up with so many things. I know that I did, especially with social media. That's why I was off social media for a few months. And Lent is a great time to kind of get ourselves back on track. Um, and so yeah, whatever it is that you're doing, uh, whether you are participating or not, uh, I will pray for you. I ask that you pray for me as well. Again, taking up some things that I've not, uh, previously taken on before, and I know that it's going to be tough, but I think ultimately it'll be not just for for my own good, but also uh, it'll be for the greater glory of God, and that's the ultimate reason why we do these things during this time of the year. So a, uh, a blessed Shrove Tuesday, a blessed uh, beginning of the Lenten season, and again, thank you everyone for watching tonight. Uh, before heading out, please make sure you smash the like button, live the fire button, Aussie, smash the rumble button as well. Uh, Hardwick says, the Popeye's one is good. I make homemade one with brown rice, bell peppers, onions. See, I don't like the extra stuff in there. I, I like the way Popeye's does it because it's basically just rice and ground beef and then maybe some spice, but it's very minimal. And I'm a texture eater. So that's why Lent is definitely going to be a-, a tough eating time for me. But my wife and I have been 
uh, planning for for a week or two, um, you know what we what we likely will do uh, as far as our meals are concerned, and uh, yeah. So anyway, been a great stream, everybody. I thank you always for your love and support on Rumble Odyssey, and of course on YouTube. If you're watching on Twitter for any reason, I don't know why. Twitter doesn't offer a lot of interaction, but hey, we are live on Twitter too. And yeah, I'm glad to see that Rumble, Odyssey, uh, both have the pop-out chat. Rumble just added that feature. Glad to see that it worked. And this definitely makes my job a lot easier because I can see when Kincaid Rumsky or other people from Rumble add their comments in, in real time. And it's it's great to be able to offer support to these alternate platforms, right? Um, and, and I always try to support as many of these platforms as I possibly can. Uh, make sure to vote in the Wednesday Raven Awards if you can. Um, but uh, anyway, I've spoken already too much. Hogwarts Legacy, very, very fun game. 10 hours in, and uh, it's been a lot of fun. Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania is possibly in some trouble at the very least. We're, we're seeing the groundwork being laid for the MCU being in trouble, especially with the Marvel's film being delayed. And it is indeed Shrove Tuesday. So go enjoy yourself some pancakes, some last of the meats uh, before the great fast begins tomorrow in earnest. Go to Mass. Pray. Prayer, fasting, and almsgiving, three pillars of Lent. Not much else I think I can add on to that. Take up some good spiritual reading, reading scripture, always good practices to add on for your life. And anyway, with all that being said, you guys are amazing and beautiful people. Hope you all have a wonderful rest of your evening. See you guys on Saturday when we are right on in Lent. You guys are great. Have a wonderful day, everybody. And as always, God bless. And now for a huge special shout out to all of my Patreon locals and subscribe star members who are at the Keeper of the Bifrost level and above. Starting off with Father Luca Illich, Garrett Searles, Chris from the 80s, who you can check out over on YouTube by the same name, Hymir Irie Hymason, Joe Horn, Jonathan Carney, Orange Hat Reviews, who you can check out at his YouTube channel by the same name as well, Laura, the Modern Major General Story, Rosetta Allen, who you can check out at her YouTube channel, Eagle Rider, and Miss Martin Muses, which goes by the same name on YouTube. Thank you all very much for supporting me over on Patreon. And also for my subscribe star peeps, we got Matt317. Check out his Twitch channel by the same name. Fast Reaction, Mr. Roy, J-Rod the Beer Guru, and ZK Man, who you can check out over at xthebounderies.co. And a special shout out to the R. And also, lastly, to my locals members, starting off with Miss Minnesota Hockey Fan, How About a Hockey Player, J.H. Schwalbach, Brett D90, and the amazing lawyer, Robert Barnes. Thank you all very much for supporting me for the month of February. You guys are all fantastic. If you want your name shouted out, access to exclusive podcasts and exclusive giveaways, check out the top link in the video description below. Anyway, you guys are all great. Have a wonderful rest of your day, everybody. And as always, God bless.